Hey, thank you so much for gathering with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. Uh, we want to encourage everyone once again to find or form a community group. In this unique season we find our, ourselves in, we have chosen Innovate to our scriptural root of small groups and, and gathering in homes, gathering in places with the, just a few people where we can worship and have wonderful discussion, pray for one another, get into each other's lives. And we have heard testimony after testimony and story after story of what God's been doing in people in these community groups. So if you haven't been able to find or form one, we'd love for you to reach out to us, info at lifechurchvirginia.com, so we can help you get planted. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the last series, Imagination and Practice. Uh, in this Christmas season, we're shifting to a, another series, a, a not traditionally Christmas narrative in the scriptures. It's the moment where Jesus is standing really at the precipice of his life, ministry, and mission. Uh, he's reclined at a table with all kinds of people, and there's this awkward ovation of honor, love, and submission. I will admit it lacks the angelic host singing over shepherds. It, it doesn't have as many um, animals and magi surrounding the circumstance, but at the center of this story certainly is Jesus. And just as he does in infant form, described by the prophet Isaiah generations before, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. The evangelist Matthew speaks to that as well in his fourth chapter of his gospel. But Jesus continues to show light in our passage as well. We find him not simply being the light, but also more emphatically lighting a way. Let's be honest. When Jesus lights our way, we also understand, almost instinctively know if we allow ourselves to discern that life will not and does not necessarily and empirically get easier. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Too often I and others use that scripture like it's going to be a flashlight, that we can look our path out and make sure we won't stumble or trip or fall or come upon a circumstance that's difficult. The word, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, isn't to be used as a flashlight to show a way forward. It's better to be used almost as an MRI on our own soul structure and discover who are we, what are we going through, and how are we really doing. This season, even with our newly added Christmas decorations in our homes and all over the place, is beyond stretching. If you're like me, you passed stretching a long time ago and you've crested into a world of uh, brokenness. There's no other word for it. This season has broken really a lot of things. If you feel a bit broken, you're not alone. It has broken global economies, political machines, power structures. The ways and means of doing almost everything has been broken. Almost nothing has been left untouched. Might I submit in the warm celebratory light of Jesus' birth that being broken isn't always something that should be avoided. This series, we're going to finish our season out these last three weeks of 2020, is We Are the Jar. If you're taking notes, the title of our conversation today is Simons, Sinners, Stabbers, and the Savior of the Universe. So turn within your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. 
And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask or jar of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you could do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please speak to me and through me. Listen through each of us that we may hear your word and respond according to your will. We ask that you would help our community, help our world. We just speak the name of Jesus. And in these moments, we ask that you would mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. I'm going to jump right into the moment that I just read. As we ourselves are celebrating and, and gathering safely distanced, of course, around tables and meals and dinner parties, the dinner party that I just read is, is peculiarly remarkable. The attendees are vast and various. They are an assorted mess of humanity. Yet, every single one of them has a seat at the table with Jesus. We have to remind ourselves that Jesus' culture was deeply, deeply divided. People were ostracized for any number of reasons. Caste systems were firmly in place. There was the Romans, there were the Jews, there were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees. There were all kinds of rules and regulations. Who you spoke with, who you interacted with, who you didn't look at, who didn't look at you. Yet here, at this dinner party... Everybody has a seat at the table with Jesus. Not will have a seat when they get it together. Not did before they made that choice. Everyone has a seat at the table with Jesus. I say this not from some hopeful wishing upon a star expectation raised from a personal pipe dream that everyone gets along or gets in, but rather from the grounding found in the time-tested, hard and fast scriptures. Jesus' example is not just this one instance in Mark chapter 14. He emphasizes this character, this nature of God. Because remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is what God looks like when the clouds aren't in the way. And so the way that he calls out to people, the way that he invites those who others would not invite. I think of Luke 19 as he calls Zacchaeus the chief to tax collector down and, and invites him to dinner and, and everybody gets into an uproar. Why is he talking to that one? Or even just the chapter of Mark 5 is Jesus crosses over to the side of a community, the, the gatherings or the garrisons that people speak to that they would never interact with, but Jesus wants to go there. And so Jesus goes to this unclean place and he goes to an unclean place in that unclean place and finds a man who lives amongst the tombs. And he brings healing into his life. In the course of that, a woman with an issue of blood that is supposed to be ostracized and separated reaches up and touches him. And Jesus reaches back and speaks to her. 
And also he is invited into Jairus' home, who's a leader of the synagogue. Probably many of the disciples would have been dispersing to him. But Jesus goes to his home. Time and again, we see Jesus reaching out. Time and again, we see Jesus including and embracing, expanding, so to speak, his table. You would think those who gathered around him, his disciples, would see it and feel it. It's interesting because in Acts chapter 14, after the death and resurrection of Jesus and the launching of the early church, the disciples are referred to as, oh, they're just unschooled fishermen. They are cast down upon all over again. But when Jesus was alive and they were walking with him in Mark chapter 10, I want to read this passage because it's so enlightening. You think you would get around Jesus and you would be embracing like Jesus. You would be inclusive like Jesus. And in Mark chapter 10, we see this moment. They, Jesus and his disciples, have come to Jericho. And as he's leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, and he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him. They told this beggar to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. These are the people who were just telling him, Be quiet, don't bother Jesus. But Jesus stops and reminds him, Hey, I'm inclusive. Hey, I'm embracing of everybody. Bring him, call him to me. And then they're all of a sudden like, Oh yeah, hey, come, be with Jesus. The fact of the matter is that we are divisive. We are polarized. We are polarizing. Here, even in the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we mercifully and wonderfully reside, things like systemic racism and incessant fear-mongering from all sides run rampant. Assuredly, we've evolved, but we are still incapacitated by much of the same human trappings that spout separation and disparity. And yet, Jesus has everyone at this table with him. Now, it's unclear why Jesus is at Simon's house, the Gospel of Luke, because this same story is in Luke's Gospel and it's in Matthew's Gospel. Luke's Gospel records that Jesus was invited, but we don't know his motive. We don't know why Jesus received the invitation and why he went there. Though we're certain of the motives of everybody else who is at this dinner party. And there are a lot of other people at the table. They're all there because Jesus is there. They are all of them there because Jesus is there. Now let's allow for that to sink in because that's some deep and wide hermeneutical wordsmithing. All these others are there because Jesus is there. Let's flip it and really mess with our minds a little bit. Where Jesus is, there should be a lot of others. Now, admittedly, this is only a dinner, but it's absolutely in line with Jesus' character writ large in all four Gospels. We're going to get to the centrality of action in this story, which is the jar, the breaking of the jar, the woman who comes in, and all the reverberating activity. But first, 
I want to briefly acknowledge the room itself because the room is the environment and the environment is important because that is where Jesus has chosen to be and with whom he has chosen to be with. All those others. So let's work through the ones that we know are there. And remember, it's not just the moment, but it's also what Jesus wants it to look like for us. And so there's Simon. We know Simon is there. He's a Pharisee. We know that through the other Gospels. Uh, one of the other Gospels makes mention that he is a leper. So he is different because of his Pharisaical background. He is rich. He's well off. But he's also slightly off in terms of his health and where he should be and not be with people. It's interesting that people with power often get a pass of where they should be or where they shouldn't be. But Simon is there, this Pharisaic, a well-off leper. We have sinners. We have this woman walking in, a woman of ill repute. We have the fishermen and the tax collectors who are with Jesus. These would have never, ever been in the same side of the street as Simon the Pharisee. But here they are sitting at table together, eating, enjoying a meal together, not because of one another's grace giftings, but because Jesus is there. And finally, the stabbers. We've got Judas Iscariot, who we know is a bit problematic in the Jesus narrative. But Judas Iscariot, many theologians believe that his last name is actually a derivative of the Sicarii. The Sicarii would have been those zealots who are a specific type of zealot in the Jewish kingdom. They were zealots who were known to be assassins. They were of the sikar, the stabbing. They were known as dagger men. Judas himself was a dangerous person. He probably had a track record. Iscariot would have been of the sikari, of that specific zealot group. But he's there because Jesus is there. And so it goes. We have the rich. We have the poor. We have the downtrodden. We have the dangerous. We have everyone and everybody in between. All there because Jesus is there. Jesus is God. And he also always gives us a way to go. He is indeed the light. But he gives us a way. He lights that way for us to go in. To unpack that God portion, how do you allow yourself to be included and engaged by Jesus? This is the primary question we all must grapple with. How do we allow Jesus to include us? How do we allow Jesus to invite us into our circumstance and into our lives? And maybe for you that question is a non-starter because you don't have an engagement with Jesus. You can begin that today. You can invite Jesus into your life. You can give your life over to him. But it starts with that question. How do you allow yourself to be seated at the table with Jesus? The way to go portion. How do you engage and include your others? Yeah, Jesus has his others. He's got Simon, the Pharisaical leper. He's got the woman. He's got the disciples. He's got Judas. He's got all of these people. But you have your others as well. How do you include others in your life? Who are your others? 
And maybe you're, you're hearing the sound of my voice and realizing I don't have any others. I mean, I've got my family and I've got a couple of friends, but I don't have anybody that's dangerous or has a track record or might have this past or might have this circumstance or that I shouldn't be with or I should. Who are your others and how do you work to engage and include them at your table? I want to just challenge you in those two questions. How do you allow Jesus to include you and engage you in your life? And how do you include and engage others? Let me leave you with this benediction. May we sit at tables that look like the tables of Jesus, filled with others and ourselves. May our lives be marked with Jesus as our God while also manifesting in the ways we choose to live. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.